0: Well, you may be seated for a few moments. Praise the Lord. We have a um, we have a quick church meeting after service today. And uh, so don't don't run off after service is done. We're going to just for about 10 15 minutes maybe we're going to get together to talk about some important things that we need a, we need a we need to talk about before service is totally dismissed that you go on to have coffee. Um, <clears throat> I want to thank uh, uh, Brother Carlos for filling in for me last week. We were out, and um, but it's always good to come back home and to be here at Hosanna Apostolic Church. Uh, you all are, are praying for our church. We need to pray for our church. We need to ask the Lord uh, to direct and to lead the leadership of our church so that we'll Uh, be united and and be working for the betterment of the kingdom of God. And I know that you do pray, and I thank the Lord for your prayers. And uh, we're just grateful for for everything that the Lord's been doing for us and for the things that we believe he's going to do for us here in the future. All right, open your Bibles with me, if you would, please. Oh, just one last thing here. order that we establish in our church and that is when people either leave our congregation or they come to our congregation there's a custom in our church to bring what's called a letter of recommendation for most members that are already within the church and so we want to welcome brother Josue Saldana come on up Josue quickly So, Brother Josue is uh, coming to congregate with us now. He's coming um, uh, to be a member from, from the Church of Lenox. And uh, Josue is a really talented guy. You'll notice he's got a camera in his hand. He's, he's doing ministry. So, he does audio, video. So Jose, so why want not you just give us a little bit of an introduction to yourself, you know, tell everybody you're glad to be here and stuff. Don't tell them nothing else and then tell them more or less what your ministries and things are. You like your- Praise the Lord, everybody. Uh, happy to be here. Happy to be a part of this church. Happy to be a part of this community and to see myself grow here. Uh, some of the things that I do, you guys know, Pastor said, uh, I work with cameras, photography, videography, Um, anything creative, uh, anything where I could put myself into, I'm more than willing to do it as well, and I'm excited. I'm excited for what's to come. God bless you guys. Let's give them amen. Welcome, Josue. It's great to have you here. Amen. Thank God for his goodness. Amen. Acts chapter 6, we're going to read verse 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 15. We are praying for our brother and his family that I understand there's been a loss, is that correct? And your mother's name, or you, you want to go ahead and stand brother so we can know who you are. And, and he lost his mom and, and uh, the family of course is grieving and we just want him to know, you, you can sit down brother. We just want you to know that we're praying for you. And that uh, we're going to be supporting your family in prayer and in, and in supplications. And we want you to know that this is a church family that you can come to. And whenever you need encouragement or you need, just need a word from the Lord, uh, we're here to, to bless you as best we can. And, and so you, we want you to feel welcome here. And think about this as a place that's a second home for you. So you let your family know that there's a church here that's praying for them, okay? And God bless you, and, and comfort you in your, in your loss. Um, it's it's um, it's it's one of the most challenging things that happens to us in life is the loss of a father or a mother, and uh, but what we have found is that God, is a tremendous comfort, and that uh, in those times when we're going through difficulty and pain. Just We go to the Lord, which is exactly what our brother is doing here. We go to the Lord, and the Lord encourages us. He comes close to us, and he, um, he strengthens our faith in everything. So we're grateful to God for his goodness. Um, Acts chapter 6, and let's all stand just to honor the word of the Lord, the reading of the word of the Lord. Now, I tell you guys every Sunday right before I'm going to preach. It's going to be a what kind of sermon? A short sermon or a long sermon? And what I do every Sunday, preach a long sermon or a short sermon? (laughs) All right. I promise every Sunday I'm going to preach a short sermon and I end up preaching a long sermon. So I'm going to do the same promise today, except I'm going to try to hold myself to it. So. We're gonna have Brother Jose go up to the office after church is over, and <laughs> we gotta have a talk with him. All right, um, let's read the word of the Lord. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring in the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in daily ministration. Father, we pray that you would bless us today as we read the word of the Lord and as we hear the word of God and as we receive it in our hearts. In Jesus' holy name, we thank you for your goodness. And everyone says, Amen. 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 You may be seated. Oh, there it is. Okay. I was trying to find a reason why I'm late every Sunday finishing my sermon. I couldn't find my watch or on my computer, but it's there. <laughs> um, so today, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about church growth. And um, last week, or the week before last, I spoke to the church about church health. And um, what I want, what we're doing over these next maybe next week or two, is we're going to be we've been talking about our vision statement for the church. And what our vision statement is that we see Hosanna as a healthy, growing, spirit-filled, apostolic, cellular church. That's that's what we see for the church um, in Hosanna. And every one of those words is what I've been trying to explain to you, or I started to explain to you, and will again today, has significance. It's, it's important, and it has uh, something that... Um, Um, It it isn't just a statement that we drafted up real quick, just however it fell together, but I've given um, a significant thought and prayer to this, and I think that this is exactly the kind of church that Hosanna is supposed to be. Um, A growing church is what we're going to talk about today, a growing church. About 20 years ago, according to a certain study that was done, most churches, 53% of the churches in the United States were growing by about 5% a year, whether they're denominations or they're, or their individual churches. And um, in the latest uh, census that's been done by this, um, by this group of about 15,000 churches in the United States, they found that one in three or 34% of churches in the United States are growing in their weekly attendance to church that means that most of the churches in the United States are, are in, in either stagnant in their membership or they're in decline. And the kingdom of God, the church was, was I mean, the intention of Jesus, I think, is real clear in the scriptures. And I think history teaches us very, very clearly what is supposed to be happening and what has been happening over the last 2,000 years. And that is that the church has grown and continued to grow and has never stopped growing there are individual congregations that 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 uh, diminish in their membership and there's denominations that that are diminishing in their membership and um but the church overall generally speaking has never been bigger it's never been greater than it is today the church has grown and when jesus talked about when jesus talked about church growth he he, um, he 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 about the church. He always talked about growth. The church was going to be growing, and so that's a subject that should be interesting and important to us. Our church congregation should be a church that is a growing church, and I think that's something that should be in the mind and the heart of every one of us that are here. And um, most churches, that is most growing churches, um, have reported that um, there were significant contributions for those churches that were growing the vocabulary or the language or the conversation of the church was focused around the was focused around evangelism and was focused around growth growing churches are churches that are focused around the mission of the church and that's an important statement I think Charles or uh, Christian Schwartz that wrote a book that's called natural church growth uh, said this in a conference that he gave talking about church growth he said we shouldn't ask the question how can we get more people to come to church which is a very typical question that's asked amongst church leaders and and uh, how can we get more people to come to church rather he says we should ask how can our church grow in quality and his whole idea about church growth is that if our church is healthy if our church is, 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 um, is focusing on growing in the quality of church that we are or that we should be, then naturally, if the church is healthy, then the church will grow and continue to grow. That's the, and I think he's right. I think that, that putting a focus on numbers is not, not the answer for uh, what we want to see in the local assembly or in churches around the United States, or in our denomination. So, what I want to do, taking this story that we've studied, that we've read today, that's found in Acts chapter 6 and chapter 7, is I want to talk about church growth. And I want to take from Acts chapter 6 a couple of principles that I find there that, that, um, that we uh, can apply to our church, we can um, uh, examine in our church, and I think that, the end result will be or these rather are characteristics of churches that are that are healthy and that are growing um, I, I it's it's almost impossible to talk about church growth which is what we're going to be talking about today without talking about Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 to 20 and I'll, we'll read that right now so if you'll find that scripture in your in your, in your Bibles or those texts in your Bibles Matthew 28 18 to 20 um, We're going to think about what those scriptures have to say. Not everything, but just a few things. But here's the first thing that I want you to get in your mind. And this is true about growing churches. Growing churches have a clear and a compelling mission. In other words, it's not just about coming to church. It's not just about worshiping the Lord and and gathering together and enjoying the service. It's not just about seeing your brothers and your sisters. It's about much more than that growing churches have a compelling and a very clear mission um so i think that's important in matthew chapter 28 verses 18 and 20 it teach us exactly what that mission is in fact it is the text in this in the new testament that's known as the great commission and i'll read it for you quickly and then i'll just say a couple of uh, uh, points about that text um we um In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and spake or spoke unto his disciples, or to them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So let me focus on verse number 18. and verse number 18, Jesus is saying something about himself. He says, and Jesus came and spake unto them. Here's what he said. Read it with me with a loud voice, if you will. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So after the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he's exalted. He is sitting at the right hand of God. We see him as the God that is exalted above absolutely everything, he has got all power and all authority in his right hand. And then in verse number 19, he says, Go ye therefore, and then continues to give instructions to the church. So it's kind of like this. It's kind of like, hey, guys, I've got all power and authority, so you guys go. And what most people think is this. Most people think that the way that works out is that jesus said i've got all power and authority so i'm giving all my power and authority to you so that when you go out you're going to be able to preach the gospel and people are going to get saved and you're going to be able to heal the sick and 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 raise the dead and cast out devils and all that kind of stuff and although that is correct i'm not saying that it's not it's missing an essential component because what jesus does not say is this jesus doesn't say all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Therefore, I am giving you this power to teach all nations. do not say that. Now, we understand that when we see the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we get power. But I think the reason that he doesn't phrase it at least that way when he's talking to his disciples here is that he's trying to communicate to us that the power to preach the gospel and to reach the nations is found in a relationship with with the one that has all the power so that so that any Christian just because he's going out doesn't mean that his life is going to impact the lives of many others just because a missionary goes out and he preaches the gospel or does the work that an evangelist or missionary is supposed to do doesn't mean that there's going to be a tremendous result unless this is true that that minister or that missionary or that church or that evangelist is an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And we all know that's speaking about salvation. We understand that about salvation. It's talking about salvation, but it's also talking about the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ in prayer and in fasting and in seeking the presence of God and keeping a righteous life and trying to be a holy people. Not that all that merits God's favor. It does not. First we get God's favor and then we walk in that relationship and as we walk in that relationship what God does is he gives us power and authority he walks with us that's the explanation for the great exploits of the apostles was not that just that God had given them uh, authority and power but that that authority and power was released in relationship to Jesus Christ and so when Jesus Tells his disciples, at least this is the way that I'm understanding. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. There is a transference of authority and power. But only as long as Jesus is walking with you. Only as long as you're in intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Because all you guys know and I know, I know as a, 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 a member of the body of Jesus, I know as a minister of the Lord, I know as a pastor, that sometimes we walk close to the Lord and sometimes a walk isn't that close to God. And sometimes we're walking in, in, in holiness and in obedience to God and sometimes we tend to stray from that. That's, that's typical of church membership. That's typical of people. And we all struggle. Even Paul struggled with his flesh. But here's what Jesus Christ is saying. The mission is going to be fulfilled dynamically and powerfully when you walk in relationship, intimate relationship, with the one that has all the authority and all the power so that the church, as it fulfills its mission and it goes about its life, is always looking to the one that has the authority and the power for whatever circumstance and whatever situation so growing churches have a compelling mission no question about that but we we have we have a compelling mission and we have a powerful lord that walks with us when jesus told his disciples that he would not leave that he would leave them physically that he wasn't going to be with them anymore that he was going to go to heaven man they got all messed up their hearts got all troubled in fact in john chapter 14 verse 1 listen to what the bible says Jesus is talking to his disciples because he's told them, I've been with you for these three years. Now I'm going to be leaving soon and I'm going to heaven. And uh, their hearts were troubled. I'm going to get crucified or I'm going to die and I'm going to raise from the dead again. And they were completely taken aback. And uh, here's what Jesus said. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Then in verse 16, he says this. He starts talking to them about the outpouring of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And he tells them this, I will pray to the Father. You're not going to stay alone. And he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now, verse 18 is important because I think it it, it goes hand in hand with Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Jesus said this, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And what that means is for every evangelist and every missionary and every individual that is on the task of winning their loved ones or winning cities or winning their neighbors or their co-laborers. You're going to be powerful in your witness if Jesus is walking with you. Amen. If you're in close, intimate relationship with God, then your witness to others is going to be a powerful witness. Now, what, what Matthew chapter 28 verse 18 and verse 19 and 20 explain to us, Acts chapter 1, the whole book of Acts, chapters 1 through 5 and then beyond that, clarify the kind of commitment that the apostolic church had in order for that mission to be accomplished. Because it isn't just about God saying, hey, listen, I've got a mission for you guys. The missions you guys go out and win the world, make disciples of entire nations, which is exactly what history tells us Christianity has done. He says, but I, I want you, and, and I'm going to walk with you as you go out and do that work. And as I walk with you, You're going to do powerful and great things in relationship with me. There's going to be nothing impossible that you won't be able to do. But here's what the other truth and what Acts teaches us. That in order for God to use us in that way, and in order for the mission to be accomplished, in order for us to do God's will in reaching peoples and in reaching nations, we've got to be committed to the mission. Growing churches have a clear and compelling mission, and the other part of that is that their people are committed to the mission of the church. So I guess part of the challenge of every leadership team is to make very clear in the minds of its membership what our mission is. What are we supposed to be doing? What is our task? What is our responsibility before God? It certainly cannot be just coming to church, although that's important. And it's certainly, that is not going to be satisfying for very long. It certainly cannot be just to have good families and to have a good life and to have a good job. It has to be much more than that. What is our work? And Matthew, of course, 28, 18 through 20 explains that for us. But I want you to notice that in the book of Acts, there was a tremendous commitment to the mission. And and let me just say that just for sake of clarity. The mission of the church, every one of us, and together as a body is this, evangelism and discipleship. Say it with me, evangelism and discipleship. In fact, those two words have to become so much a part of us that that's what we're talking and that's what we're speaking. We're not talking just about going to church and going to discipleship and all these other things. The thing that is in our mind and in our heart, the thing that we speak is evangelism and discipleship because that's our mission. That's what God has called us to do. And so, look at the church uh, in the book of Acts, and we'll just read three texts, and I'll read them for you that explain to us a little bit of what was on the mind of the church. Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. If you want to look it up, it says this And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking of bread from house to house, and did eat meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So the church was was focused on, on on loving one another. Was focused on going breaking bread from house to house. And we know what they did from house to house. Acts chapter five verse forty two teaches us every day from in the temple and from house to house they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. That's the text. And so they were going from house. There was an absolute and a strong commitment to the mission of the church now let me ask you again what is the mission of the church the mission of the church is evangelism and discipleship say it with me evangelism and discipleship what are we supposed to do we're supposed to evangelize win the loss, win our friends win our community and we're supposed to help them grow up as christians that's our whole job That's everything that the pastor, the ministers, the deacons, the church members, the church organization, the church structure, everything about the church should be revolving around those two things. We have a mission, and the mission of the church is to evangelize and to disciple and so Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47 lays it out clearly. They were going from house to house. They were eating bread. They were happy. They were glad. There was unity, singleness of heart. They were praising God. They had favor with all of the people because of their great acts. And then the Bible says there was added into the church every day those that should be added. They were on mission. Look at Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. It says this. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. There's already a, a, a tremendous time here of persecution that's going to rise for the church. Being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus Christ the resurrection of the dead. So what are the, what are the apostles doing? What is the activity of the church according to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, and now Acts chapter 4? The activity of the church is preaching. It was telling people about Jesus Christ. It was helping people to grow into the knowledge of God in their home groups. The church came together, they preached Jesus Christ, and some people were really happy and other people weren't that happy about what they were doing. Because what we find in Acts chapter 4, and I won't go into those details, is they take them and they cast them, in, uh, they threaten them, and they tell them not to preach in the name of Jesus Christ anymore. The point being that the church did not just take Matthew. Chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, just as a declaration statement, they lived it. It's in the living out of our mission statement that God is really going to do great things. It is in evangelizing, winning our friends, and witnessing to our friends, and sharing the gospel. It's in helping people grow up in their faith that really wonderful things are going to happen. Every dream that we have as a church... It's going to find its fulfillment in sharing the gospel and in helping people grow. That's a big statement, right? So every dream that we have for ourselves, for our families, for our marriages, for our ministries, for every area of your life has to do with two things. Sharing the gospel of Jesus and then helping people grow in their faith. It's true of a mom and a dad. It's true of brothers and sisters. It's true of ministers and church members. It's true of you and every other person that you love and that you care for. If we will commit ourselves to sharing the gospel, and we'll commit ourselves to, to develop, developing and growing Christ, the image of Christ in people, every one of our dreams will begin to come to pass. It's a commitment, a singular commitment to what Christ is calling us to do. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, which is the text that we've taken today to talk about for a while. It says this, and in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied. Read it with me, if you will. It's up on the screen. And in those days when the number of disciples was multiplied. That's interesting, isn't it? Because again... What the church is experiencing is exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. <laughs> and I'll say this, that whenever the church is not growing, something is wrong. Amen. Something's got to get adjusted. I'm not saying like we're all backsliding going to hell, right? Okay, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is something is off kilter. Something is not on focus. Something is not happening is not central, that should be central. We're missing an essential component. And our concern should be, how do we get focused on that? How do we gather our attention around those things that are essential to Christ and to the growth of the church? Because the church should always be growing. I got about one, two amens on that one. I'm going to try it again. The church should always be growing. I'm talking about our local church. I'm not talking about anybody else. I'm talking about Hosanna Apostolic Church. We should always be growing. And so if we look at the church and we say, well, is the church growing? Is it not growing? Now I'm not talking necessarily about Hosanna. If the answer is no, then we've got to ask ourselves, why not? Because Jesus said the church was going to grow. And he didn't say in bad times and in good times and adversity, only when things are going well, only when the government loves us, only when things are Hunky dory, only when we've got a lot of money, only when the economy is well. He didn't give no qualifications at all. He just said the church is gonna grow. It's like a tree, it's gonna grow out in its branches, and the and the fowl of the air are gonna come and they're gonna land in its branches. Every time that Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is growing. That's his vision. It's what he was seeing. You know why? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the greatest power that there is in the world today to transform, amen, and to change the hearts of men. So I want you to notice that that, uh, the church is supposed to grow. Say that with me. The church is supposed to grow because the gospel is for everyone. And it meets a fundamental need in the hearts of people. In every human heart, the gospel ought to resonate. You know why? Because everybody needs forgiveness. And everybody needs a reconciled relationship with God. And if we believe we're in the truth, then I don't care how you cut it up. Buddhism is not going to satisfy. And Islam is not the answer. And whatever other world religion you can come up with, it is not going to do the job. If we believe there's only one way to reconcile with God, and that's Jesus Christ and the blood of Christ and Calvary. Come on, somebody give the Lord hand praise right now. Then we believe that we're on task when we're sharing the gospel with other people in bringing them to the forgiveness of their sins, which they need. And bringing them into a proper relationship with God, which they obviously need. Amen. Say amen. amen. Look at your neighbor and tell him, I'm on mission. I'm reaching the lost. That's my task. That's my job. And so let me go on. Let me go on from there and just say this. Next point that I find in this text is found in that same verse. And here's the, here's the second point. The second point is is that growing churches are messy churches. This is a messy church. We don't all look the same. We don't all talk the same. We don't all dress the same. We don't all act the same. This is a messy church. Holy, are you? All right, you say, Pastor, that doesn't sound very encouraging. Well, the truth is that, listen, churches, growing churches are messy churches. You want to keep a real clean-cut church, get about 30 members, and tell them exactly what your expectations are. Tell them how you want them to speak, how you want them to act, how you want them to walk and quack and everything else. And they'll line up. They'll line up. They'll line up. But you know what? Growing churches are messy churches because there's people coming into the church that have no clue. They have no clue what it is to honor God. And in, in, in they've got skewed ideas of what it is, what kind of person they ought to be. And they've got uh, bad habits that they've brought from the world. And, and even though Jesus generates and transforms their lives, there's still a lot of cleaning up that's got to get done. Nobody here is saying amen or, or not many are responding. But you know that's the truth because that's what you've lived. You know that a a church, a growing church is a messy church because when you got here and I got here, we weren't all cleaned up. The blood of Jesus had washed us, but we still had some ideas that had to get cleared up in our heads. And and we still had some ways of acting and talking and, and behaving that needed to be rectified by the word of God. We were messy when we came to the kingdom of God. But that's why we have discipleship. So, growing churches are messy churches. If you don't got trouble right now, you'll have trouble later on. And so, the church began to grow, and and as the church began to grow, then then uh, then the complaints began. Look at verse one again of Acts chapter six. And in those days, when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring. Everyone say a murmuring. Now, here's what they didn't do. They didn't come to the Peter and say, "Hey, Pete." We've got a problem here. They're neglecting our widows. They didn't do that. They went with their sister, and they talked to their brother, and they went to their other neighbor. And this is a a huge threat to the church, to the church's unity. They started talking amongst themselves. Hey, it's not fair. Everyone say it's not fair. It's not fair that the Jews are getting well attended to. Their widows are getting taken care of. They get to the front of the line. And we're like second-class citizens, you know, just because we're Mexicans, just because we're Salvadorans, just because we're white, just because we're black. We're second-class citizens now. And not just a bunch of talk that can ruin the unity of the church And it doesn't come up to the front leadership of the church. You're a a discriminator. You're prejudiced. You're bad. They don't do that. They just start talking amongst themselves. And so a murmuring arose of the Grecians against, say Grecians Grecians against, the Hebrews. The unity that the church had seen was now being threatened because needs were not being met. And so a church that was orderly, how's everything going? Great, church is wonderful. How's the distribution? Everybody's got food to eat. Everyone's doing fine. And then suddenly there was an inequity in the church. And then they started to complain and to murmur, which is human. All humans do that. And then church got messy. Forget messy here. This was a little mess. This is like spilled milk, all right? Later on, Paul is going to go into the Gentiles and preach them the gospel. Then it's really going to get messy and it stays messy till today. Amen. I think this is what it means to be a Christian. If somebody else says, no, I think this is what it means to be a Christian. Somebody says, I think a Christian should dress and look this way. And somebody says, no, I think a Christian should dress and look this way. Somebody says, I think a Christian should believe this. This is important. Somebody else says, no, I think this is important. And since the Gentiles came into the church, they messed the church all up. the bad news is you're all Gentiles. We messed the church up when we came into the church. And ever since then, there's no such thing as a uniform, tidy, neat little church where we all have the same culture. We all have the same uh, fundamental ideas. No, the church has been messy since the church began to grow. If you want to keep a church that's really neat and tidy, don't grow the church. But when the church begins to grow, things start to happen. Now remember, I don't know if I've told you the story, but I'll tell you the story today. Church is messy. Uh, there's a brother Mascareño. I remember talking to him some years ago. Very successful pastor, hugely successful pastor in the area of San Diego, the apostolic man. And uh, brother Mascareño told me on one occasion that he was um, talking about the dress standards of, of ladies and modesty, right? Women should be modest as well as men. And uh, he was telling me that uh, when he was preaching on a Sunday service, a lady came into the church and she was like, man, she was like totally unmodest. She came in, he says, and he drew her attention, she drew his attention. He he thought as he's preaching, I don't know if he was preaching or sitting at the platform, he thought, how, how dare this woman come into a holy setting and, and dress that way. And he was a pastor, you know, so. He said, I made up my mind. I'm not going to pray for her. You know, that woman, she's just an offense to, to the holiness of God. And how dare her. And so he went and started when, when after he got done preaching, he started praying for people over here and praying for people over there. And as he got closer, closer. she came up to the altar. Down on the other edge over there, and he got closer to her. He told me, he said, you know, Pastor Salazar, when I got to where, right where she was, I noticed that she had been filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that she was speaking in other tongues and when i saw her speaking in other tongues god spoke to me and he says you'll reject her he says but i'll take her Isn't that incredible And then he said, you know, what? just, of course, you know, she was like indecent. And she said, I want to get baptized. I want to give my life to God. And eventually he says, we baptized her. And and then we started teaching about modesty and teaching about, you know, the right decorum and stuff. And then one day she comes into church, he says, and she walks straight up to the pastor. She goes, look, pastor, I'm decent. And he said, brother, she wasn't much better. (laughs) You know why? Because church is messy. Because people have different ideas, different convictions, they have to grow in the faith. We come into the church all kind of with all kinds of ideas and expectations, and everything else. And then what happens in in our conversion is we come with those things still in the kingdom, and in discipleship, God begins to clean us up and say that idea is not good, and you gotta get you gotta fix this, you take care of that, and leave that behind. And He begins to clean us up until we look and talk and speak, and live a lot better than we did before, but as we're getting better, other people are coming into the church, and they don't look like us, they don't talk like us, but they're a part of us, and they are a part of the church. They've been washed by the blood, and so what we're supposed to do is love them, and care for them, and disciple them, and teach them until they grow into the stature of Jesus Christ. Now, I know it would be a lot easier for pastors and some of us church members if members were just neat, but they're not neat all the time. And neatness doesn't, it's not, it's not attractive, it's not nice, not neatness, messiness, excuse me. Now, all you parents know, you know, if your children have bedrooms, go clean your bedroom, Why do you do that? Because you walk into a bedroom and it's a mess. They got church thrown everywhere, socks, dirty socks, and shoes, and and the beds undone, and some of you are feeling convicted right now, but that's all right. And and all of this, you know, you walk into that bedroom, you're kind of like, Oh my goodness, you know, what happened here? And um and, and and it's messy and it doesn't look good, but hey, still your daughter, still your son, still a part of the family, they're messy but they're a part of the family. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. And what I'm saying is that we've got to be a church that's a loving church. We have to be a church that's not just an evangelizing church because all, if all we do is evangelize and we don't help people grow up, the whole church will get messed up. Amen. We've got to love people into the kingdom how they are. And when they get into the kingdom, then we begin to help them to grow and to develop until they come into the stature of the beauty of Christ the goal of their life should be to magnify God the most that they can in every possible way that they can so that Jesus Christ is evident in them and so listen the the widows were being neglected and that's that's true it was a bit of a mess well how was the problem solved point number three growing churches have growing leadership or let me just and ladies you're gonna have to be You ladies, all right? All the ladies say, "Amen." Amen. You guys, you're gonna have to trust me here for a little bit. But I'm gonna speak a truth that's not popular. I don't care. But but I'm just gonna say, growing churches have strong masculine servant leadership, and that goes against all of the feminist ideas that young people are being taught in school today, and that's prevalent in our culture. But the truth is that growing churches have strong masculine servant leadership. The question for the churches is not why are women coming up. It's why are men sitting down. And so I want you to read with me. When they have a problem that arises, here's the way they resolve it. Read with me, verse number, um, verse number two and on. It says this: Then the twelve called the number multitude of the disciples unto them, and said, Is it not reason? It is. It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among. You, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over their business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephan, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and, and, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Farminus. And Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. So I want, you to, I want you to look at this. Listen, gentlemen, I'm talking to the men here. Ladies, you just say amen, and all of our good men in this church. And all of you young fellas here, all you young boys here, you need to listen too, because I know that there's a lot of stuff going on in younger kids, but this is what you're heading to, leadership in the church. Yeah, no, these are the leaders of the church right here in the future. That's sitting right there. And, um, and so you boys pay attention to this part of the sermon, all right? Not that you weren't. I know you were. but First, I want to say this, that the apostles chose to add to the leadership known, proven leaders. These weren't just, hey, let's have an election, whoever's the most popular guy. Hey, what do you guys think? We'll, we'll choose none of that stuff happened, gentlemen of the church, young people of the church. These are the kind of men you should strive to be. Every one of us. Don't let the culture mold you. Don't let the world tell you what you're supposed to be about. Don't let the world give you an image of what a man in the church or a man is really all about. Reject all the ideas that are being projected in culture and everything else that is that is being presented. Here's what the Bible says about a man. And this is the goal that every young man in this church that is not married, that is still in college or high school age or even junior's age, here's a kind of man every one of you must aspire to be. You must aspire to be men that are that are, that are filled with the spirit of the Lord, men that are anointed of God, men that are committed, men of character. Let me just highlight some of those things for you. The apostles said this, we need men with good reputation among the people, not amongst us, among the people. You know what that means? It means that amongst your friends, your peers, When you're not in church, the guys you hang around with that are telling you, let's go sin, let's do this, hey, dude, let's hang out. Whatever they're inviting you to do that is not godly, that is not going to help you to grow in righteousness, that's not going to help you to be more like Jesus Christ. When you're hanging around with those kinds of people, you stand on your convictions. You live your faith. You will not compromise. You share Jesus Christ. You take your stand and You make it known. These are the kind of men that these men chose. And these are the kind of men that our young people, our young men, and our juniors, younger men, must aspire to be. Don't look to all of the stars that are fallen stars in the world. Don't look to WrestleMania and all those kind of MPG or whatever those fighting things are to try to be like them. Don't try to imitate the world, whatever they say is beautiful or great. Don't imitate that. A politician or whatever. Look, we have a standard. And the standard is that the men that were going to be chosen for this job had to be seven men of honest report. And that means this, that they have a great reputation outside of the church. And I would ask you guys, all of the men of this church, what kind of a reputation do you have amongst your peers? Órale, oh, man. Philip is awesome, man. See, I know he's a Christian, you know, but he's one of us too. You gotta be careful about that kind of stuff. There has to be something that stands out about you, that sets you aside, because every young man in this church is a potential leader of this church. And every mother of this church must look at their sons as As disorderly and as messy as they are and everything else, the good and the bad that comes with them, you must look at them as potential leaders of Christ's kingdom. And you must raise them up in that context. They're not to be raised our way. They're to be raised God's way. They're not to be raised to be sons that will make us proud. They're to be raised to be sons that will make Christ proud. There's a huge difference in the value systems. Because every one of us can never be agreed on what we like and what we don't like. And what we aspire and what we don't aspire. But we must all agree on what Jesus says is a great man or a great woman. That standard in the Bible is clear. And it is to that standard that we must aspire. Oh, somebody say amen. Amen. Everyone say character. character. Guys, we must be men of character. If God is going to promote us, if God is going to use us, if God is going to do something greater with us, if our, going to, our ministry is going to go to the next level, if God's hand is going to be upon you, we must be men of character. If you have no character, there's no foundation upon which God can build a ministry. If you don't have character, there's not much foundation upon which God can build a satisfying marriage. If there's not character, there's not much foundation to build a great career. Everything that is important in life is dependent on your being a man of God, a man of character that is unwilling to compromise. And if that's true of our young men, that they should strive. Listen, guys, I'm not telling you guys you're there. I know you're not. And I'm not telling our young people are there. I know they're not. But we're striving towards that. Amen. Is that right or that not? not true? At least you can say this of myself. I'm trying. Amen. I'm working hard to get there. I'm not quite there yet. But, man, that's my goal. That's an important thing. Then the next thing the Bible says is that they had to be full of the Holy Ghost. I mean genuine spirituality. It doesn't say they spoke in tongues. It said they were filled with the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Ghost. That's genuine spirituality. You know when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, when you speak in tongues? No. You get filled with the Holy Spirit in relationship to Jesus Christ. When you're connected with him, When he's the love of your life, when he is the greatest treasure of your life, when you're talking to him and you're communing with him, when he is your life partner, he walks with you and he talks with you. When you're in that kind of a relationship, you're filled. And I'm not diminishing speaking in tongues. That is the initial evidence of having received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I do not question that doctrine. That is the truth. But there is a cord, a section of believers that say, I just got to speak in tongues. And once I speak in tongues, I'm good. There are husbands that are tired of hearing their wives speak in tongues because they speak in tongues in church. And at home, they're mean. And there's wives that are tired of having their husbands. So rather than speak in tongues, I just won't say nothing. Speak in tongues in church because... They're not faithful. There is a superficial kind of Pentecostal spirituality that all you have to do is the minimal. You know, that's not what we're talking about here. These men, yes, they were tongue talkers, but that's not all they were. There was some depth to their spirituality. They acknowledged and walked in communion with God. He was the source of of everything that was good about them. It's not just they had the Holy Ghost. It's they were filled with the Holy Ghost. There was a genuine spirituality in their lives. And then the last thing is they were full of wisdom. Well, what's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Wisdom, knowledge is simply knowing or being aware of something. Wisdom, on the other hand, involves the ability to 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 make sound judgments. You take what you know and then you make great decisions. Everybody here, there's not one person, I don't believe here, that knows how we ought to live and the kind of decisions we ought to make. What makes the difference between knowing what you should know as a Christian and a wise man is that the wise man takes what he knows and then he makes great decisions. So what I'm saying is this, that as the needs of the church grow, we need this caliber of men to step up and assume responsibility and to say, I'm going to work for the kingdom of God. We say, well, pastor, where does that leave women? Well, that leaves women with great opportunity to minister also because God doesn't just use men. He uses women. Say amen. Amen. But I'll tell you the kind of church I don't want to see. I don't want to see a church that's led by women. I want to see a church that's led by men. I don't want to see homes that are led by women. I want to see, unless you're a single mom, I want to see homes that are led by the men. Mm. Now I know that's not not very popular now because today egalitarianism is very popular. Which endorses, even within Christianity, a broader sense of what leadership really is. And in egalitarian ideas, both genders, male and female, assume re- leadership in the home and assume leadership in church. Equal leadership, There's, they're not different. That's egalitarianism. I and mean, we don't believe that. I don't believe that. Although there are Christians that believe that. And, you know, God will straighten that out eventually. There's the other side that is complementarianism, which is what we believe as apostolics. We believe that God gave, created man, he gave him his role, and then he created women and he gave, him, he gave her her role. And that the man is to lead the home. He is the one that makes sound decisions. He is the one that is filled with the spirit of God. He is the one that is directing the home, making a, a, a great a, a leader for the home. And then there is the wife, and the wife is there to, to encourage him and to bless him and to back him up in the sound decisions that he makes. It doesn't mean she's nothing, but it means she's looking for leadership to her husband. And the church is just a mirror of that. The church should have men leading the church, generally speaking. Does that mean that women cannot serve? Of course not. Women can serve in the church, and they've always served in the church. There have been prophetesses, there have been deacons, there have been all kinds of ladies involved in the ministry of the church throughout the church history, even in the history of the Apostolic Assembly. In our earliest days, there were ladies that were deacons, official deaconesses of the church. They've always served in one area or another, praise singing you know, or serving in one area or another, leading the ladies' department in so many leading small groups in so many areas. Is their potential for leadership uh, developed and and and, uh, and and demonstrated? But what we're saying in the Bible or in the scriptures is that we need the men to step up. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. I'm encouraging the men to step up into leadership, to grow. The growth of the church depends on that, gentlemen. And in a a culture where where our young men are being encouraged to stay adolescents into their late 20s and 30s, still acting like juniors. They've got jobs, but they're acting like juniors. They're not moving on. They're, They're staying where they're at. And, and it's not a healthy place. And God is saying, hey, listen, guys. It's time to grow up a little bit. And it's time. How do you do that? You assume responsibilities. Amen. And you become responsible in doing the very best that you can do in whatever responsibility you've been given. Say amen. amen. Of course. That's what marriage is about, isn't it? We're not all marriage. You know, it's about love and hugging and kissing and having children and growing families and all that beautiful stuff. But, But... You know what, why men grow up in marriage? Because we assume responsibilities we otherwise would not have chosen to take on. And we do things because our wife makes us do those things. Right? And so how does God get us to grow up? He entices us with a beautiful wife. And uh, not a wife first, but she's just beautiful. And she smells good and she looks good and, and everything else. And we just... We get hooked, right? get hooked. She puts the hook in us, and that's it. We're done. We're done. And, um, and for the love of that woman, we assume responsibilities we would have never taken on. Dude, I want to come in at whatever. I, I don't want nobody telling me what to do. I want to dress. I want to dress. I ain't going to have nobody on me correcting me and getting on my kids. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to live that kind of life. And then you fall in love. And then that messes you all up. Your plan is out the window, my friend. You know, she's got the hook inside of you. You're just, okay, honey, whatever. You give up all of your rights and privileges that you had before. Now you're subject to a woman. Ooh, Jesus, help me, Lord. It just came down as a revelation right now that I'm subject to my wife. (laughs) It's the truth, guys. But you know what it does? The responsibility helps us to grow up. Helps us to become men. And in a culture that is encouraging guys to stay on the video games and to, and to just hang out with the guys and to come home late and go to sleep and, and not be responsible in your life, not act like men in that kind of a culture, the Lord is saying, no, guys, I got a better plan. My plan is that you be filled with the Holy Spirit. My plan is that you be men of character. My plan is that you assume responsibilities in the church and in your lives and that you grow up. And in a culture where our young people are staying adolescents, isn't it great to look at the church and say, here in the church, we've got young men that are growing up and assuming responsibilities and their character, and they love the Lord, and they're serving God. (laughs) We're not going to be like the world. We're going to be Christians. All right. I lied. I'm sorry. I I lied. I just, I shouldn't have done it. I do it every Sunday. We need masculine leadership. Say amen. All the young men, say amen. Amen. And all the older men and everyone, just say amen. Amen. We need masculine leadership because growing churches need more leaders. And so in this call, there's this constant call. Guys, we need people to help with children's ministry. And guys, we need men to help with prayer ministry. And guys, we need people to help with this and the other. And you know what we need? We need young men to say, okay, Pastor, I got a full schedule with work and everything else but you know what I'm going to I'm going to do that I'm going to commit to that I'm going to make it great. Grow up. Growing up to assume those responsibilities so that the church can grow. The church grows when I grow. The next thing that I'll say about growing churches is this that growing churches are interesting because they 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 grow in Rather, let me say this: They are bold about their faith. So, the Bible tells the whole story about the widows and everything else, and the choosing of the deacons to meet that need. You know, got to get leaders, and then it goes on and tells the story of of Steph, Stephen or Stephan, Stephen, and it says that uh, he was filled with the Holy Ghost. Stephen was, and uh, and uh, he began to um, uh, argue and contend with the. A Debate rather with the uh, with the Cretians and with the Libertines and with the Alexandrians. This is a sharp guy, He's young, super sharp mind. He's not gonna. He's gonna use his bright, brilliant mind for the defense of the gospel, and that's what he does. So Stephan, that's a. He's a Greek. He, he's a. He's a. He's a, a disciple of the Lord, and he's got this brilliant mind. And he's taught in all of those philosophies of the, of the Grecians and everything else. And, and he gets to debating with them. And Man, he just, he's like we say, he's whooping them. And he's just defending the faith. And he's so articulate and so powerful in his word that in verse 10, the Bible says this. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. It's an awesome guy. You know what? It's a good goal. I want to be awesome for Christ. Is that a good goal for a young man to have? He's serving tables, serving widows, making sure their needs are met. But he saying, God's got something else for me. I want to be awesome for God. So in order for me to get there, I'm going to do great at what I'm doing. But I'm going to be doing something even better than that. I'm going to be awesome for the king. That's the kind of passion and desire that God puts in the hearts of our men here in the church. And they pursue it. And you know what God does? He gives you something greater. And so Stephen begins to very bold about his faith. A church must break through its timidness in order to grow. And let me tell you how we break through timidity. That's why being a part of a body of Jesus Christ is so important because there are some people that are so socially... Context of the body of Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm about done. Let's stand. Everyone can contribute. A study was made, that same study that I mentioned a while ago, and it says the congregants that are healthy and growing emphasize, congregations rather that are healthy and growing, emphasize to those. In attendance, the importance of sharing and living out their faith. Almost 9 out of 10, that's 86% of congregants, say they emphasize living out their faith in every aspect of their lives. And 62% of those growing churches emphasize talking about one's faith and with those who are not in the church. So they talk amongst themselves, and then they talk, about their faith outside of the context of their church. But you know what they are? They're focused on the mission. So what I'm proposing to you folks is that that we all see ourselves as participants in a church that is growing. So if Hosanna Apostolic Church is this... Is a healthy, growing, spirit-filled, apostolic, cellular church. If that's our vision for the church, then every one of us, not just some of us, every one of us contribute to its growth. We see ourselves, I see myself as contributing to the growth of Hosanna. So you know part of what I do every Sunday to try to make sure that the church is growing is I try to prepare understandable, spirit-filled sermons. And You know what the musicians do to try to participate in that is they they tune up their guitars and they, well, they do their drum thing and and, uh, and the pianist practices at home with cantos apostolicos. I don't know what he does, right? So he's everyone's doing their thing and the singers sing the best that they can. And when people come into the house of God, they see beauty. They hear beauty. And they say, oh, that spirit's beautiful. They've contributed. Every one of us can do something. People are coming here and there's someone outside smiling. Hey, welcome to our church. It's great to have you here. They've contributed. When they sit in our seats and after church we come and say, hey, it's really great to have had you here. God bless you. Is there any way we can connect you? You've contributed. When you talk to your friends, to your neighbors, you've contributed. Everyone is a contributor. We are a part of the body of Jesus Christ. And you know what's going to happen? The more we win people and the more we evangelize, church is going to get, it's going to stay messy and it might get a little bit messier. But that's all right. That's all right because it gives us work to do. Say amen. Anybody love a messy Christian? I know a whole lot of you guys, and you guys know me, so we don't got it all together. We're a little bit messy, but we're going to we're gonna do some great for the glory of God. And what I'm encouraging you guys, you guys know that in a week we're going to start our evangelistic cycle. And we're all going to participate in growing our church, right? And we're going to do it corporately as a body. And we're going to have a short little meeting after service about something similar to that. Now, we're going to talk about our fasting just as soon as service is over. And then Friday, everyone say Friday. Friday. Is Is that just Friday, right? We're going to have a general meeting. Is that right? With all of English ministry? All of English ministry, come on Friday. We have something special for you. Can you do that? I want to talk to you about that right now. We'll figure it out. Hosanna is a growing church. Greet six or seven people around you and tell them, Hosanna is a growing church praise the name of Jesus Hey, don't move. Don't come to the altar. But right where you're at is the ministry of worship and praise ministers to us. We're just gonna go before the presence of the Lord. If you need Jesus Christ as your Savior, I would encourage you right now to surrender your life to Jesus. And I would remind you that Jesus Christ, in your place, died on Calvary's cross, and for you, shed His life and His blood. And that three days later, so that you could have hope of a new life, he rose from the dead. This is the Jesus that we're excited about and that we love with all of our hearts. And this is the Jesus that's going to change the lives of our world, our friends, our loved ones. So I encourage all of you. In the name of Jesus, let's just lift up our hands right where you're at in Jesus' name. As the worship team ministers to us, let's just thank God for a few moments. Father, we're so grateful in the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. For every good thing that you've done. For the young men that you're raising up. For a church of committed men to the gospel of Jesus and to their local church. I thank you, Father, for your the movement of your spirit amongst us in the name of Jesus for godly women and for godly young ladies I thank you Lord for a body that is ready that is committed to the mission that you have given us oh Holy Spirit move amongst us move amongst us in Jesus holy name we thank you bless the name of Jesus Let's go before the Lord, folks, just for a few moments. the lord wants to fill us with his spirit